This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Goalie Ashwa Gummies. You can find them at goalie.com. Use promo code the Show Up That Foundation to get 10% off your order. Zendurance Active Wellness and Sports Nutrition. Their products are designed to maximize your health. At Zendurance, they strive to support and have a positive impact on the wellness of every hardworking dad. Use my code, the show up dad, and get 10% off your next purchase. For more info, go to www.zendurance.com. Tall Man Equipment, standing taller than the rest of the competition in Lyman Tools since 1952. Give them a follow at www.tallmanequipment.com. And last but not least, Adam Lane Smith. He is an attachment specialist who helps people to heal, connect, and build. Use my promo code SHOW, spelled S-H-O-W, for a 50% discount on his attachment boot camp course. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast, where our mission is to improve the well-being of children by increasing the proportion of children growing up with an involved, responsible, and committed father. The Show Up Dad Foundation is a 501c3 organization that encourages dads to become more than just a paycheck. Today, my guest is William Fields. He is a journeyman lineman, a father, and a mentor to those around him. From his first drink at the age of five, William's life has been a journey that some of, if not most, can relate to. Like the title of his first novel, House of Failure, Fields' life has started out with typical components that normally lead to failure. From child abuse, juvenile delinquency, gangbanging, and prison inmates, these were all patches that he wore by the age of 20 as he served a six-year sentence for three attempted murders in 2001. Currently, Fields is living out his dream as a writer, a power lineman, and a mentor to those who need to find their way in life. Welcome to our show, brother. Welcome, man. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely, man. When I heard your story, uh, I actually had a, a past guest, Pablo Huerta. He told me about you, and he's like, man, you need to have this guy on there. He has so much input, so much value that he could add to your community. And I was just like, all right, man, get me his number. And here we are. <laughs> nah, definitely, know? man. Definitely not. But Pablo's a good guy, man. Definitely a good guy. Yeah, for sure. Well, like always, hey, William, do you mind if I call you Bill, brother? Or what are you? What would That's you like fine, man. Will, Bill. <laughs> Wild Bill. Yeah, Wild <laughs> Bill. <laughs> all right, man. Well, I want to open up with you telling us about how you grew up, brother, and what was life like, if you don't mind. Oh, definitely. Uh, so I grew up in South Central Los Angeles, which they call South L.A. now. Uh, single parent home. It was me, my mom and my brother. My dad, he was there. He lived in a separate home. He lived actually in uh, Hawthorne and mm-hmm. he would come get us uh, on the weekends. And being that I was raised that way and grew up that way, I never really saw a problem with that. I really didn't see anything different to really compare it to at the time. It just was what it was. Uh, My dad, he was like super cool, always worked. Uh, I kind of considered him like a player type of dude. He was like always clean, fresh, uh, spoke very well, very intelligent man. just a cool dude. You know, I never mm-hmm. held any resentment towards him. I always looked at him as he just is what he is. He's doing with, he knows the best how to do as a father, mm-hmm. as far as uh, doing what he did. He paid his child support. Uh, he never talked to me and my brother crazy. He just really kind of let us do whatever we want to do, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, Looking at it now, like we would just go over there on the weekends and he would give us $10 a piece and let us run wild, man. And we would just do whatever we want to do, man. We would drink, uh, not breaking people's cars, mess with females. Uh, We would go up to the mall, the Hawthorne Mall 
at the time, which was open, and mm -hmm. go to the arcade up there and bet people and take their money and we would rob people. That was the first time I ended up in uh, juvenile hall. Actually, they uh they sent a SWAT team in there to get me. Wow! And I'm walking through the mall with these females, and I see the police, the SWAT team coming through the mall, and I'm like, ah, oh, who they about to get? Not knowing they was coming to get me. <laughs> so they drew down on me and my brother and the females and they took me up to the top of the parking lot and the witness was in there and he identified me and they arrested me took me to juvenile hall banned me from Hawthorne. uh being i didn't have a record i didn't stay in there long they basically stayed in there a couple weeks and they kicked me out and just told me they don't come to Hawthorne anymore which i still did i didn't care and um so that was that little episode. Mm -hmm. But other than that, like I said, he just kind of let us do what we wanted to do. It really wasn't no discipline. It really wasn't any reformations on things that we did. He just kind of was just like, just be back here when I need to take you home. <laughs> and yeah. so we grew up, we grew up fast, man. Uh, messed with a lot of older women. You know, I never really messed with females when I was younger that were in my age bracket because I was always older because I had to always think for myself, take care of my brother. Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of ran the streets, man, did what we wanted to do. Now, I thought something that you said was interesting that you had to take care of your brother. How much younger was your brother? So me and my brother are only a year and a day apart. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so he's February 15th, 1982, and I'm February 16th, 1981. Oh, wow. Wow. Man, no, so that's so, wow. Okay. So would you say because of the lackadaisical approach that your father had, Bill, that that's why you felt like you needed to watch out for him, or was that instilled in you guys, or what? I've just always been a leader, man, since I was okay. a, a child, man, since I was a baby, man. I just always, since mm -hmm. I can remember, always want to take the lead. I always was a protector, you know, uh, of other kids. Yeah. I hated bullies. I just always saw the good in people and I always mm -hmm. want to protect people. So including my little brother. So that's just what it was, man. I just, I, I never knew anything different. Yeah. You know, so I just always wanted to just be a role model for him, protect him, make sure he was good. And it's just that's just how it was. Mm -hmm. And then my mom, when she would go to work, you know, she taught me how to cook, show me how to, you know, wash clothes, iron my clothes, be very self-sufficient. So I always mm -hmm. was like self-sufficient, you know, so I never really looked at it like, oh, I need a handout because I grew up fast, you know. So when she would go to work. I would have yeah. to watch my brother. We would walk to home from school. Uh, I'll make my own dinner, make my own lunch, make sure my clothes was ready, you know. And like I said, I never knew anything different, so I didn't have anything to compare it to. So it was just kind of like, you know, handle your business. And basically, that's what I did. Mm. No, and I see that with, uh, like, with other people, too, in this industry that we're in, the line trade, or even with uh, – firefighters or, or police officers right they have this deep desire to protect the ones around them okay and i think it's important as fathers that we recognize that in our kids and if we are able to recognize that when we're paying attention and being intentional with our children we'll be able to see that and then we could kind of help them hone those skills right because not everybody can be a police officer not everybody can be a firefighter. Not everyone should be a lineman. And that's sure. the honest truth, right? But there's certain skills that set us apart as boys, as men, you know what I mean? And I think that's important that fathers are able to to really recognize that and help our children to hone those skills, you know? No, I agree with you 100%. I mean, that kind of goes to the whole doctrine of everybody needs to go to school. Everybody needs to go to college. I think when you're a father, being a parent and a father, you have to identify your child's strengths and weaknesses because they're all going to be different. Like to me, I have three boys, a son on the way. Mm -hmm. And just with my twin boys, I could see the difference in them. Like one is very good mechanically and then one is very good academically. You know, he just takes the stuff. He really studies things. 
Whereas the other twin, like, if I took him to play pinball, man, he figured it out, like, in a matter of seconds. And I can see his brain going. He understood the mechanics of the switches, the ball, the levers. Like, he just mastered it. And mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I see what the – he really doesn't care for the academics. Like, he can do it, but he's kind of like whatever. He gets bored really fast. Whereas the other twin, he's he'll sit and read. He'll sit and write. He stays within the lines when he's coloring and stuff like that, where the other twin, he doesn't care. He'll just dribble all over the place. Uh, one twin is stronger than the other twin. Uh, mm -hmm. the other, one of the twins is he's meaner than the other twin. He's mm -hmm. smaller, but he's, he's a mean dude because he's in jujitsu. And so I watch him when he's, mm -hmm. you know, doing his matches, man. He's very aggressive. Mm -hmm. He goes out to win where the other twin really doesn't care. And he's stronger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just identifying their strengths and their weaknesses and then playing towards them. But they're, mm -hmm. you know, all kids are different. I don't think it's just like one set rule of parenting when it comes to the children. My oldest boy, who will be 14 this year, he's just really into academics. He's just very smart. He's really he's never been a competitive person. Uh -huh. He's just very into the books, man. And that's all he cares about. Mm -hmm. No, it's interesting to see that because you're absolutely right. I had a, a good friend of mine who um, one of his kids is the typical. I want to be in martial arts, jujitsu, whatever. Right. I mean, this kid's really good at wrestling. Okay. And grappling. Um super crazy you know he's the one that's always jumping off stuff breaking stuff whatever right the other one's real academic real quiet well reserved child right but that kid is into bull riding okay now he started off as a mutton buster which they have which they have these little sheep that they put these little kids on right and they put him the little, you know, the little vest and they put him the little uh, helmet, you know, with the, uh, the protective device and stuff like that for their head. So they don't get injuries. But that little boy, man, the one that's real quiet and reserve is completely different, right? Night and day doesn't pick fights, doesn't do anything like that, but he's got this internal strength about him. Like his brother that likes to grapple straight up, dude, the first time he ever tried a mutton busting or anything like that fell off hurt himself, got the wind knocked out of him. He's like, I don't want no part of this. I yes. mean, and you're thinking <laughs> yeah. like, what do you mean? You like all this stuff, you know? And dude, he's like, that's not for me. I don't want no part of this. Nothing. The other one who is real reserve and stuff. I, I mean, I seen him separate his arm and everything falling off, gets back up, barely has a tear in his eye and wants to go again, dude. We're different people. Yeah, You know, and as parents, you have to understand that. As fathers, you have to understand mm -hmm. that. Because I see a lot of fathers, they try to make their children, especially their boys, be stuff they're not. Yep. And if they have an inadequacy or a weakness that they have or that they're harboring, they try to enforce that on their children and make their children tough and rough and bad. And It's like, no, nah, brother, that's not how you do it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I tell guys in the trade, like, hey, man, I don't yell at my kids, man. I'm not here to yell at you, demean you, or anything like that. If you don't want to be here, then we'll just get you a pink slip. Period. Mm. You know, I don't enforce my will on my children. You know, I discipline yeah. them as you should. Talk to them. I don't get upset with them because they're children. You know, and I understand that. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't look at my boys like, oh, you got to be like this. Dad was this. And, no, man. I believe in let children be children. Mm -hmm. And that's so much important, man. I, I love my, my boys have joy in their heart, that they're happy, that they're silly, that, you know, they don't see my tattoos. Like, my oldest son, he didn't see, he didn't realize I had tattoos until he got older. And he was like, what is that on your body? <laughs> all he sees is his dad you yeah. know he, he just never tripped out on it you know and I forget that I have him because I'm covered from hand to toe and I forget I have him and you mm -hmm. know my sons they'll make fun of me like you got those numbers all on you dad and <laughs> you know they'll make fun <laughs> of me and uh, I just laugh but no nah, man they're happy 
and I love it, man. I love seeing them happy and just being kids and being square and talking square. And, you know, I don't like children who are, act like adults, mm. you know, because it's like you rip their childhood from them. Yes. And now you're creating adults that are going to go in society and inflict harm on other people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you're doing. You know, and the essence of it, and that's then for me learning that from my mom is, you know, because I would talk to her when I got older, like, you know, why were you, you weren't disciplining us, you were abusing us, Mm. you know, and I would tell her, like, you know, why? And in her mind, she was like, well, I was like that because I didn't want you guys to be gang members going the street, and I just want to make sure you guys were good, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I understand that, but you kind of cross the line. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is once you, it's easy to cross that line as an adult, especially when you harbor pain within yourself on your yeah. children. It's very, it's a, it's just a very thin line, man. It's very easy to cross. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why, like I said, I'm very hands on with the boys and I understand that they're just children and they do certain things. I just talk to them and they'll look at me like, is he mad? And I'm like, look, man, just don't do that. You know better. You're better than this. Mm-hmm. You know, and are you going to do something? I'm like, no. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to have your eternal switch on to want to do mm-hmm. better for yourself and represent this family. You know, I hope that you would do better. I want you to do better. And just the fact that they're they feel bad like damn man like he's not even gonna do anything they won't do the behavior again yeah (laughs) yeah no for sure and i like that you mentioned too that a lot of times parents right when they're overwhelmed or whatever like for instance your mom you know she was carrying on a role that she was never meant to carry i mean that's a role for two people right so she in defense of her was probably burnt out bro and she was doing the best she could you know um, but it's crazy, like the things that we do as parents to try to protect our children tend to be the things that actually drive you to the potential danger or the potential outcome that you don't want them to go into, you know? No, definitely. I mean, parenting is a job. I think a yeah. lot of people have kids and they don't really understand that. They think that uh, kids are cute. They kind of see their kids as pets and uh, they don't understand that it's a job. Yeah. And it's a it's a job that never ends because you're basically molding and shaping a person that's going to be in society and supposedly make society better. Mm-hmm. If you're not molding them, seeing what kind of spirit they have. Then you're letting something loose on society, man, that's uncontrollable, you know, and it's not to me, it's not fair. Because now my child has to go to school with a child that's being abused, getting yelled at. And my sons are looking like, what's wrong with this kid? Mm-hmm. They see it, you know, and I'm like, ah, now I got to watch my kids around this kid because I know that his parents aren't properly parenting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see these kids at a young age and you see all the joy ripped from their lives. You could just see it in their spirit, man. You just, I feel bad for them because I know what they're going through at the house. And it's not fair to them. Um, they didn't actually be born. And mm-hmm. it's not their fault that you as a parent, life's not going the way that you feel it should go. So you're going to attack an easy, soft target. You know, that's very weak. Yeah, that is. And, you know, I, that's one I, I can't stand that, man. Like I really can't. It's it's crazy that we talk about this, William, and you're I mean, you're hitting so many great points. But I look at it also as how we relate to people in the field, our our apprentices, especially, you know. How many linemen do you have out there that are just constantly just whatever reason they're having I don't know a bad day at the house, their wife's cheating on them, whatever, whatever it may be, right. They're getting in a big fight or whatever. And they come to the field and then they go and badger and beat down and browbeat the apprentices. You know, oh, yeah, it's man. the same thing, yeah. you know, and it's not cool. You know, it's, it's definitely, not. it's not, it's not cool for a lot of reasons, you know, uh, being in the gang life, and mm-hmm. knowing how, so that's the thing too. Like, so with me coming into the trade, 
Yeah. I, I went in the trade straight out the pen, you know. Okay. So I'm coming from an environment where it's all about respect. You know, you mm -hmm. say excuse me, you say thank you, you keep your you you observe other people's private space, you know. So it's all about respect because if you disrespect somebody in there or in the gang life, they're gonna kill you. Yeah. You know, it's no argument, it's no tussle in the dirt. They're gonna stab you if they in prison or hit you upside your head with something. Or if you're on the street, man, they just gonna gun you down and go on about their day. So the level of respect is way up there mm -hmm. versus in the trade. You know, people talk real crazy to apprentices and you still gotta realize, man, that's a man. Yeah. And you don't know what that man is going through in his personal life. This might be his last road to success right here and you're mm -hmm. impeding it. <laughs> you know, right? You're impeding it. And yeah, you may feel tough doing it then, but what happened if this dude snaps and comes and shoots the crew up? And wow. I think that's the thing people need to look at. They don't really look at like, if you take something from a man and this is all he has, it's no telling what this dude is going to do. I remember mm -hmm. when uh, this older dude in prison told me, it always stuck with me. He said, look, man, never back a person in the corner. If you got somebody, man, and you know they don't want no parts of you, or you got the upper hand, just back up, man. Give him some room. Never push a man to a corner because you're going to put him in a position to do something outside of his character to protect himself. And it's so true. Same thing with these apprentices. It's like, that's still a man. Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course, you know, you're going to do what's in the trade and what's in the culture, but you got to know, man, there's a line and should still be a standard, man. Give proper respect. You mm -hmm. know, if he's there, he's trying. It's our job as linemen, foreman, GFs to train up the next guys coming through the trade. It's going to make the trade better. When you demean somebody, you have them in fear, or you you putting them under peer pressure where they feel like, oh, man, I got to drink with these guys. I got to do drugs with these guys to fit in. I got to have tattoos. I got to have a truck. Is You're instilling things in them that have nothing to do with the trade. Mm -hmm. You know, you should be teaching them showing up on time, uh, taking pride in their work, having craftsmanships, uh, having hustle about themselves. But when it's always making that apprentice feel like he's not wanted, mm -hmm. then he's going to leave your crew, go to another crew with those same attributes, feeling like he wasn't wanted. And now he's no help to that crew. And let's just say he does just a bare minimum to get through the trade. Now he tops out and he's useless. And so now you get him on your crew. You thinking this alignment, you don't know. You in the bucket with this dude and Say he does something crazy that burns himself up in you, all because he didn't get properly trained, and a man's going to do what he needs to do to bring a paycheck home. Yeah. So if he just has to fly under the wing and not really learn, he's going to do that, and he's going to try to figure things out as he goes, but now you're putting my life in danger because mm -hmm. of this dude came from you and you not properly training him and making him feel like he wasn't wanted instead of building them up, giving them that confidence to where now he comes with my crew and he's dialed in. Now I can teach him what I know and then and so forth. Now when he tops out and he's a good hand and, and he had a good apprenticeship. So now when he has apprentices, he's going to treat them well. He's going to build them up. And then this is how we create a positive cycle within the trade versus mm -hmm. beating them down abusing them thinking it's cool thinking it's funny because somebody did it to you and that goes back to hurt people hurting because i mean yeah. that's just all you're doing like i ran across alignment during my apprenticeship and i had to check a couple of them and i'm like hey bro i don't know who hurt you but uh that's not gonna fly with me and, you know and it's like well you're an apprentice i said check this out man i'm a man first mm-hmm and, you know, I'm going to give you your respect as a lineman, but you're not talk, You're not going to curse at me. You're not going to talk to me crazy. I'm like, bro, we can get down, bro. Like, I don't know who you think you are, but that's not going down with me. Mm -hmm. You know, if you let somebody talk to you that way, I mean, that's your bad. 
<laughs> you know, right? And you see that with a lot of them. They they got treated like a certain way. So in their mind is, I'm gonna do it to somebody now and and make myself feel better. And it's like, nah, bro, you never compromise your manhood for anything. You know, yeah. always stay true to where you can look in the mirror at yourself and be proud of the man you are. Never compromise, bro. It's never that serious, bro. Never compromise. Mm. No, I like that you said that never compromise because it's true. I mean, it it starts off in the little things. You know, I've heard it before where and I use this term all the time, Will, is how you do anything is how you do everything. Right? True. So if you're compromising in all these little things, when it comes down to the big things, you're gonna compromise there as well. Yeah, and, true. And it even goes as far as uh cutting corners you know with the line trade not testing okay you got away with it this time okay well the next time you might get away with it this time oh you know i i I assumed that it was dead you know we've always done it this way and the next thing you know you're having to explain to that person you're with you know their 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 uh wife or whatever why they got hurt you know or better yet they're explaining to your wife that hey man he took a, sh- a shortcut today and now he can't come home. His arm, he can't. No, definitely. Shortcut. You know what I'm no, saying? No, definitely. And that's what I try to tell guys too, man. Cause I have guys, you know, they'll come with the, the crocodile tears and the apologies. Mm-hmm. And I tell guys, I don't accept apologies from grown men. You know, apology. I tell dudes, man, apologies for children. Mm-hmm. You know, if a child does something, I'll accept apology because they're a child. But if you're a grown man and you're showing up to work impaired, uh, late all the time, just man up and say, man, I did what I wanted to do. I'll respect that more. Mm-hmm. At least I know what I'm dealing with, but just to think, oh, I'm just going to say sorry and everything's okay. No, it's not okay. And like you said, if you hurt me to where I can't provide for my family, I can't take sorry to the bank and pay my mortgage. No, You know, uh, I can't, if I don't have hands because you blew them off and now I can't hold my children and you telling me, oh, man, I'm sorry. I mean, what is that really going to do? You know, it's like you got to have some type of accountability and some type of morals about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just solve everything with a sorry, man. You have to just take responsibility and just be a decent human being at the end of the day. Mm. No, I like that. Apologies are for children. And accountability is what we need for men. I I agree 100%, Will. I think that's where we're lacking a lot is this accountability for oneself. You know, we live in a society where we point fingers at everybody. I, you know, you made me do this or because of this, I did this, you know, cause and effect. And I think that's crap for lack of better words. I put you in a a position to where you're always going to play the victim and not being accountable for the actions you chose to do. And I think that's where we're at. Just in society in general, just people want to be these, these victims, right? This victim mindset of blaming everybody else, you know? Uh, Because it's accepted and it's a game, you know, like when I used to go out and lecture, uh, you always had the guy that was like, Oh man, you know, I grew up in a single parent home. Uh, I was in jail. Uh, they won't hire me, you know, and I'm sitting there listening to all this and I'm like, Hey man, what did you go to jail for? And they're like, uh, Oh, for drugs or robbery. I said, check this out, man. I, when I go on the job application, I got to put attempted murder and they never turn me down for a job. Never. Mm-hmm. So you did a couple months here and there, man. I did six years straight. So all these excuses you making, man, they're just excuses, man. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all they are. It's like at the end of the day, at a certain point in your life, man, you got to man up and be an adult and go out here and take what you want. You know, and if you can't read because you have a lot of functioning illiterates, you got to look at ways to get to point A, point B. Everything mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a, a big you know, grand celebration or, oh, I got to do this. And if I can't do that, then I can't do it. No, you take small steps. You know, mm-hmm. when I was in prison, like I said, I went to school, I graduated, but I never took school serious. I never wanted to be in school. I hated going to school. 
But once I was incarcerated and I had time to reflect on my life, I t- and I started pinpointing my failures, mm-hmm. I started saying, man, I started failing when I started giving up. Once I started, things would get hard, I would quit. I would either quit physically or I would just shut down mentally. Anytime it was a challenge or something wasn't going my way, I would quit. And mm-hmm. that's where I started writing in prison. I taught myself how to write again, how to write paragraphs, uh, how to do math, how to do algebra. I'd be in the shoe doing algebra with my homie. And I said, I'm going to re-educate myself all over again and tear down all these walls and just make new foundations and things to live by. Because I used to box when I was in the ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And I remember I hated it because it was hard. It made me a good fighter, but just the training and the running and all this stuff after school, I just was like, ah, I don't want to do it, you know? Yeah. And that's something I always regretted because I think I could have went really far with it. And, and I think that was like the catalyst of, basically the downfall of my life, man. Once I quit, then I just started doing little quits here and there, just start getting easier and easier and easier for me mm-hmm. to quit whenever it got hard. And once I realized that, I'm like, man, I'm not quitting no more. Whatever I start, I'm going to finish. I don't mm-hmm. care what it is. If it's a book and I don't like it, I'm going to finish it. <laughs> you know? right. So once I started doing that, it made everything else easy. You know, because mm-hmm. I, always, it, I always knew I'm never going to quit. Anything I start, I'm going to finish it. I'm going to see it through. You know, uh, mm-hmm. when I got out, my uncle, he was the one that told me to get in, into the trade. And that's how I ended up at L.A. Trade Tech. Mm-hmm. But during that time, I was dating this doctor. And I started doing the lectures and things like that. And I remember I was at USC and they took me to dinner. The dean of the school took me to dinner with the other professors. And they were like, hey, man, we want you to come here. We'll help you with a scholarship. We want you in the social work department. We really like you. And I told them no. And I said, I'm going to L.A. Trade Tech to be a lineman. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what is that? <laughs> right. Yeah, hey, I told him because, you know, that was me and my uncle's plan. And I was already there. I'm like, I'm not going to quit. Something I already started. And I remember the doctor, she lost her mind because she was like, you told them no. And I'm like, yeah. And she was like, I want to go there my whole life. And they offered you a scholarship. You turned it down. And I'm just <laughs> looking at her like, so? that's your life not mine man (laughs) yes i was just like so and so i mean i think that's the biggest thing is you have to in your life Uh you know pinpoint where things go wrong and really just have those talks with yourself and overcome them and be honest with yourself Mm -hmm. no i agree with you 100 percent. there will um it sounds like you have to overcome all these great odds, right? And I know we haven't even really touched the surface of everything you've been through. Um, when, when, when did you have that epiphany to start making the change in your life? Like, when did it really hit you? What was that aha moment where you're like, dude, I can't continue to go down this route and be successful? Uh, I kept going to the hole for fights. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Let's talk about that. I was up. Yeah, I was always on the front line, man, you know, so mm-hmm. when I got to prison, supposedly prison politics, you're not supposed to gang bang in prison. Okay. Uh, me, I've always been rebellious, man, so I felt like I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm in here for shooting at some enemies. I'm going to continue beating up my enemies. You know, that was my mindset. Mm-hmm. And the other gangs in there really didn't take too kind of that because they felt like, hey, man, like, why are you doing this? And I'm like, because I want to. And in my mind, it's like, I'm in prison for not following the rules. Why would I come to prison now and now be good <laughs> and follow the rules? I'm not here because I follow the rules. <laughs> so, right, right. So my mind is like, you guys want to do that because it makes your time comfortable. I didn't care about my release date. I actually uh-huh. maxed out on my release date because I felt like I'm going to continue doing what I want to do. It got me in here doing this. Why am I going to stop now? Mm-hmm. And so the epiphany hit me when um, it was this dude from uh, Rolling 60s, which was a rival of my game. 
His name was uh, Cousin Kerry. He actually was the guy that got shot with Nipsey Hussle. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, so small world. So he would see me and he would try to talk to me. And he he would tell me, he said, hey, man, uh, hey, brother, you got potential, man. And I'm like, hey, man, don't talk to me. And mm-hmm. he was like, hey, like, what's wrong with you? And I said, hey, look, man, I don't talk to my enemies. And he's like, I'm not your enemy. He said, I'm not your enemy, man. He said, hey, look, man, you got potential, man. He said, you read books, man? I said, yeah, I read, man, whatever. And he said, I'm going to give you some books, man. I want you to read them. And so he gave me some books. Mm-hmm. And I think the first book he gave me was uh, From Niggas to Gods, part mm-hmm. one and two. And I remember I took it up there and it had like, it's like a Ku Klux Klan member and he's got uh, blood in the crib and as puppets. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so. <laughs> Powerful reading right cool. there. <laughs> yeah, man. So I went up and read it and I couldn't sleep for like three days because everything he was talking about in his book was me. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, so I stopped smoking cigarettes. Uh, this one, they still was letting you smoke in prison. So I stopped smoking cigarettes. I stopped drinking the prison wine. I started eating good. Like, it was like instant, man. Like, I read mm-hmm. that book and it just hit me to my soul, man. Like, convicted me, man. Cause I was like, damn, man, this is me. Mm-hmm. This is me destroying my community and myself, you know. And I've never read that type of literature before. So, when he gave it to me, man, I just started devouring books. And mm-hmm. I think then, was, at that moment, I decided, like, man, I got to do better. You know, I want better. And I no longer wanted to game bang anymore, per se, as far as like on enemies, because I didn't look at them as enemies anymore. Mm-hmm. But I understood that I came in the prison system under the Constitution of my gang. So I also knew, like, look, I'm going to keep it 100% with my gang and what I do if, you know, if it, Thumbs up for me to step up, do what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Once I get out, I'm going to live my life. You know, yeah. and that's my thing is whatever you come in as, leave is that. Now, once you want to go do whatever you want to do, cool. You can leave on a clean slate. I never really had respect for guys that came in and, you know, now they got the Bible. Now they got the Quran. Now, oh, I don't do that anymore. It's like, yeah. no, nah, man, if that's what you want to do, do that once you get out. Because will end up happening is you'll do that because it's hard right now then get back on the streets now you fully gangbanging again now you're not a mm-hmm. christian now you're not a muslim and i just never was with that i was like look man i came in as this i'm gonna leave as this I, it's really not in my heart no more because now i feel and look at things differently but i'm gonna keep doing this until i get out but that's when i started systematically changing myself exercising every day reading every day uh writing every day mm-hmm. i enrolled into the uh incarcerated youth program so i was taking college courses in there so i got my uh, started working on getting my uh aa degree uh it just started just changing my life man and how i view yeah. things and things just started changing around me more and more and i remember uh I was in a cell with my homie, uh, little Flacco, mm-hmm. and I remember he was uh, like 10 years older than me, and he was looking out the window of the cell at the day room, and he was like, man, look at all these fools, man. <laughs> and he was like, man, I should kick myself in the ass right now, man. Excuse my language. No, and, uh, and he was like, a bunch of house of bunch of failures man we we just this is the house of failures he said man when i was your age in here i told myself i would never come back and i would wouldn't be some old fool in here now look at me and you know <laughs> so he's telling me this and i'm listening to him and i'm like yeah that's why i'm gonna call my book man house of failure and mm-hmm. i said that's what it is it's just a bunch of failures in here you know we all failed somewhere in our lives that got mm-hmm. us to this point and that's what made me start writing the novel and name the novel because of me and his conversation in there. Mm. No, that's, that's pretty interesting. House of failures. I never looked at it that way. Um, but you're right. You know, people that are incarcerated have been failed, you know, whether 
whatever, you know, their decisions or whatever, you know what I mean? They've all failed at life. And I think I look at prison now as a place to where you can go, right? Like you said, and have a choice. You can continue, right? Or it can you can do what, what you did and start making the changes, for lack of better words, putting in that work, right? In, no, a, positive, in a positive light, right? And it, it's, it's, it's definitely a second chance. I've never heard anybody really say that, but I'm glad you spoke that up because I know other people say, oh, yeah, prison, this and this and whatever, you know what I mean? But you're the person who actually made the changes, right? And we're actually here standing by saying, hey, man, it can be done. You know, it's not easy nah, to dude. work, but it can be done. It was the best thing for me. You know, I mm-hmm. needed a break from the street, man, because I was just a menace, man. I really mm-hmm. was, man. I really, whatever I do, I'm going to do it 100%. Yeah. I've just always been that way. So when I was gangbanging, man, I wanted to be the best gangbanger. I wanted to be the top dude, you know, and. I went and put all my energy into that. So mm-hmm. as I was making that transition in prison, that was my thing is like, look, what happened if I take this energy and put it towards good? Mm-hmm. The same energy I put in the game bag and let me put this in the building and making a better version of myself. And that's mm-hmm. what I did. And I was unstoppable, you know, once I got out because I put all that energy into myself and I was just focused like a laser and Another thing, too, that made me change was you start seeing the illusion of the gang culture. It's just an illusion, man. Nobody really believes in it. You know, mm-hmm. um, you got dudes who snitch. You got dudes who, like I said, super gangbanger on the street. Then they playing basketball with their enemies, playing chess with them. You know, in there real friendly, but they in there getting tattoos. They in there talking all this tough talk. But you mm-hmm. in here super nice, not finna tear a wing off a butterfly. And that was the thing that was pissing me off, too, because it was some of my homies that was in there, and they was nice, mm-hmm. you know. And here I am going to the whole shoe, doing this, doing that, always on the front line. And I was just like, man, none of this is real. Mm-hmm. And Like, what are you doing this for, you know? And you got to live for yourself. You know, that's mm-hmm. basically what it boils down to. So once that, that switch was clicked on, man, I just never mm-hmm. looked back, you know. So it's almost like you had to have that veal pulled away from your eyes to see the truth, right? Because I had another past guest, um, Chris Peranto. He was a survivor of Benghazi. He's an army ranger. And uh, he talked about the same thing. He said that when he was in Washington, D.C. and all this stuff and all this ideology that he had of uh, supporting our country and doing all these things in the name of the country, even losing his family to protect our country right and when he got to washington dc he said that it was almost like the man behind the screen appeared and he started seeing how corrupt the united states was and the ideology that he once had was no longer there you know and it it was a letdown and then he had to start really learning to live for what was important you know for those around him that he cared for and that's kind of the same way with you I, i see it as you know no, nah, you're 100% right, man. All of our experiences are, are the same, man. When mm-hmm. you really boil down to, like I said, I talk to Serenios, Northanios, Asian boys, even white supremacists, you know, because when you behind the wall, mm-hmm. it's just you, you start to see the real person. And yeah. as you talk to them, you start seeing like, hey, man, we all the same. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really no difference. You just grew up in one area. I grew up over here, but... Most of us came from single parent homes or grew up in gang life or, you know, you got guys that just never learned how to read. And they were so embarrassed of that, that they create this big old character of themselves to hide that hurt. You know, just Mm -hmm. like I created Trey Devil. But Mm -hmm. once I was in prison, I was able to get back to William and who I was as the person and not the character of Trey Devil, you know. And mm-hmm. so we create these defense mechanisms to keep and protect ourselves. And that's really all they are. It's just a yeah. defense mechanism. And so once you realize that and then you can step away from that, then you can really start to grow and be of value to people you encounter as well mm-hmm. as your community around you. Mm. So with that being said, you created this alter ego, right? Trey devil. 
that wasn't an attempt to just put up more armor around yourself so you wouldn't get closer to people is is that kind of like which that persona that you created or how did that yeah i mean how did that help with you him, while you're in there i mean it helped me because through trade level man i can just be heartless mm. you know and just put that off on him you know and mm -hmm. He didn't care. You know, he was the cool guy, the fly guy, quick to pull the gun out, quick to set trip. Mm -hmm. Uh just didn't care. You know, yeah. he was he was you couldn't touch him. He didn't have mm -hmm. a heart. You know, he didn't care about females and stuff like that and feelings. He was mm -hmm. just, you know, about destruction and doing him, you know, and representing. You know, that's all it was about. Mm -hmm. But that really wasn't who I was. It was just I've grown up in a gang community. I came from an abusive home to where, you know, I don't have anger towards my mom now, but I'm pretty sure I internalized a lot of anger from her doing what she was doing when we were children. And plus being a male, being attacked by a woman, you know, yeah. that brings in all type of little stuff inside of you that you don't really realize as, as a child. You just know, I don't like yeah. it and I'm angry and I need somewhere to release this anger. Mm. <laughs> how, know, so. how did that affect you in your relationships i mean i mean as a son right we have a different bond with our with our mothers okay that's we you know i know i've did the studies and i've seen all the the deal we tend to marry people that are like our moms okay or or are drawn to people that are kind of like our moms right so with that being said how did that relationship with your mom and the way it was affect your relationships in life with with the opposite sex uh honestly it really didn't because okay so when i was little i had like a very what's the best way to say it? i was very in tune with spirits so yeah. when i was a little kid i always could see light and spirits mm -hmm. and I always heard voices calling my name mm. and so i always had a deep connection with the universe and things around me and i couldn't really explain what it was but i knew it was there like i yeah. could see lights uh what you probably would call spirits because i asked my grandfather one day because it would mm -hmm. happen a lot and he he said those are spirits calling your name you know mm -hmm. just pray for them and i said all right cool so i always was a good kid you know mm -hmm. so i was so good it has such a pure heart that I never allowed what my mom was doing to look at females in that way. I always mm -hmm. kind of looked at her like, all right, man, you going through whatever trip you want, you yeah. know? And I remember at 12, she tried to do it and I grabbed her hand because now I'm stronger. And I'm like, look, man, you ain't doing that no more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. she looked at me like, and I'm like, nah, man, that's a wrap. Like, I don't, whatever you want, you know, like, I'm, I'll treat you like an enemy. Like, we ain't doing that no more. And she mm -hmm. never did again. So when I dealt with females in the streets, it, I never took that out on them and how my dealings were with them. Because, like I said, my dad was always a ladies man. So mm, okay. I picked that up from him. So I was just like on some real player you know, suave type of dealings with the ladies. It never was a, oh man, I'm going to take it out on women now. I, yeah. I never had that in me. I know some guys probably do, but mm -hmm. I never like looked at females in that way. I always like being around females, chilling with them. Uh, and I was more like a player as far as with the ladies, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? When I was out before I went to prison. Now, when I was incarcerated, I had time to really, analyze myself and I, that's when I knew I didn't want to get out and be with a bunch of women mm -hmm. because I started to understand that certain women that I slept because I slept with a lot of women when I was out yeah and I realized that a piece of my spirit was going with them and I was taking on different spirits and entities as well when I was sleeping with all these women yeah. because it would be some time where I slept with a woman and I felt a certain type of way like, man, I don't feel my, I don't feel the same, you know? Mm -hmm. And after further study, I started realizing, man, I'm taking on all type of different spirits on whatever she slept mm -hmm. with. If she was molested or raped, I'm taking on these spirits and these energies. 
Yep. And I told myself, like, I'm not going to do that when I get out. I no longer looked at that as something cool or badge of honor. In fact, I kind of looked at it like, hey, man, you kind of, mm-hmm. you know, messed up your stock. And that's what I tell my homies when they're in the pen. I said, look, man, you like a version. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get out, man, choose wisely who you're going to deal with, man. Just start off fresh, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of guys, they think because they've been incarcerated, like, oh, when I get out. I'm smashing everything on site. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. like, nah, man, why? Like, why? Right. You know, because that's what they've been taught, you know, mm-hmm. that that makes you a man. And really, it doesn't. It's, it's actually going to hurt you as a man, you know, because you're going to be desensitized to certain things. And you're mm-hmm. always going to be comparing your best experiences to whatever female you with now. Mm-hmm. So it's a hindrance. It's a yes. hindrance, you yes. know. So that's what I tell guys. Like, nah, bro. You know, if you can find one good woman, man, be with her. It's, mm-hmm. it's far more better than sleeping with a bunch of women, sharing yourself, spreading yourself thin, mm-hmm. uh, taking on all these different types of energies, man. Because you might take on the energy, man. You can't shake. Yeah. <laughs> no for real man and, and and you know just to just to add up what you're saying we call those in the spiritual realm uh soul ties every time you sleep with a person the bible calls it to become one flesh right so you're absolutely right when you talk about taking on their spirits because whatever is attached to that comes to you and it and, and and affects you and you start taking that upon yourself as well and uh, you got to be absolutely careful with who you do that with um another one too that i always tell men is pornography right we have this research conducted by covenant eyes that shows that one in five mobile web searches is for pornography you know and when you watch pornography it's like injecting poison into your soul you know it it has the ability to kind of rewire your thinking and it sends this flood of hormones to your memory receptors in the brain and it preaches that lie that the images on the screen are what sexual satisfaction looks like. So you no longer look at the person you're with as a human being, right? You're desensitized. Earth. It's like watch. It's like what Hitler did with the uh, his his soldiers, right? He continuously showed him these violent video imageries. Uh, David uh, Gossman talks about it in his book on killing. How that's how they rewired the brains of these people to be able to do the atrocities, right? Because they no longer looked at human beings as human beings and they're able to carry off these atrocities and that's kind of what porn does to you you know no and also in um gang culture you know yeah. like with rap me with rap music because yes. i i found myself i did that to myself you know mm-hmm. i listened to when i was in the streets i listened to very violent music yep. and i could literally feel the demon possessing me you know, and before I would go on a mission, because I would always go sober, I would have that music playing, you know, mm-hmm. and I could just feel it coursing through my veins. And, you know, I tell people all the time, I can relate to racism and white supremacy and how people feel because us in the black community, we do that as well by mm-hmm. referring to another black man as the N word because you're no longer looking at him as a human being. You're mm-hmm. looking or, you know, a crip or blood using the disrespectful terms for them. You're not looking at them as human beings. You're looking at them as those, the whoopty whoops. And then you're mm-hmm. reinforcing it with the music the same way you said, as far as what Hitler was doing, I realized it then, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I got away from listening to that music for years when mm-hmm. I first got out, because I realized what it was doing to my mentality and how mm-hmm. I looked at other human beings, you know, it took, it took it away. I just looked mm-hmm. down as a target and it was easy for me to do what I needed to do and not feel nothing about it. Cause I'm like, and not human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> so. it, you're absolutely right. You know, we have our eye gates, what we watch, and then we have our ear gates that we need to protect as well. Cause just like seeing it's the same thing with hearing, you know, and let's take that a step forward. If you're constantly listening to uh gossip, that's one of the number one things, especially in our industry. Everybody's always gossiping about oh, yeah. this guy or whatever. You know what I mean? Whether yep. it is to to put that person down so you can look better because you 
aren't confident in yourself or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Gossip. And when you're listening to that, you're going to start looking at that person through a different lens as well. You know? Oh, definitely, man. That's crazy you said that because on my channel, that's one of the things I ask the guys, what do you consider a hand? Mm -hmm. And my boy that I went to school with, Patterson, he said, I consider a hand on what I see because if I go by what somebody else says, it may not be true. Mm -hmm. That could be coming based off of however that person was feeling that day on mm -hmm. they determine somebody a hand or not. And I was like, man, that's so true. You just never know. And I'm the same way, dude. I don't like hearing anything bad about anybody. Mm -hmm. I want to see my relationship with you and what I see you from a clean yeah. slate. And then I'll make my determination from there, you know, what? because people lie. Mm -hmm. No, they do. They absolutely do. One of the best leaders I've ever seen. And he was kind of like my line daddy. Okay. This guy had the ability to take all the hands that no one wanted. Okay. So when he was pushing on these big crews, like these big jobs that we had, right. These hard money jobs, he would be like, all right, that guy, you don't like him. No, he's getting passed around. He's the the one who's always a uh, sh uh, crew shifting. Give him to me. I'll take him. He would take all these dregs. Right. Uh, and I, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the wrong way to put it, but I mean, that's how everybody yeah. looked at these persons, right? He would take them and he would find out what their strength was. That was his ability as a leader. And dude, if it was just digging holes, by golly, that dude would get on a high pressure digger and he would tell him, go dig. Yeah. And next thing you know, he, <laughs> this guy, you know, we're ahead of everybody because they're digging all these holes. We're setting poles. We're setting 21 H structures a day. You know what I mean? All this different stuff. And it was because he saw the value in the person. He didn't just listen to what this guy said. Oh, he's unteachable. He, whatever. He's like, you know what? I'll bring him here. I'll see what his strengths are. I'll recognize his strengths and I'll go with that and run with it. And to me, that's a leader. And that's what we need to do in our homes. That's what we need to do in our industry. That's what we need to do in the United States as a whole, dude, is be able to see the strengths that other people have and go with it. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Now, with that being said, brother, I appreciate you coming on, Will. Um, I want to give you an opportunity now to be able to talk about your book, or how they can get a hold of it, or how, if anybody has any questions, how to get a hold of you, brother, if you don't mind. No, definitely. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Wills Will. That's mm -hmm. W I L L S underscore W H E E L, where I'm starting to interview guys in different trades mm -hmm. to basically spread the word that it's cool to have a job, man. It's cool to mm -hmm. have a job. It's cool to be a father. It's just cool to be a decent person. That's why yes. I started the channel and to give knowledge, man, give information, give back. Mm -hmm. uh, so often we get the knowledge and we don't share it. Mm -hmm. And it's young men out here who are thirsting, man, for knowledge or direction and guys make it and we don't never give it back, you mm -hmm. know, and I always that's my biggest thing is I never want to turn my back or my eye on somebody that's looking for help. And you mm -hmm. could be that one change to shift that person's whole life just by listening to them, just by saying, taking the time to say, hey, man, what's going on with you, man? How you doing? What you trying to do? Yeah. And that's how I end up getting guys in the trade, just letting there, talking to them, listening to them. And I see, hey, man, you a strong dude, man. I think you'll do good in this industry. I think you can bring value to this industry. And as far as my book, you can go through wills will if they go to the channel and all that information is there they okay. can drop a comment and then i'll respond back but yeah i have house of failure escape from failure and also wrote a book called even superheroes need help sometimes mm. just it kind of goes through some of my experiences and how i overcame them that way it's just a little pocketbook that way if somebody is going through something they can read that kind of help them out navigate through certain situations especially transitioning from prison and gang life so i just try to be like an outlet for guys that are transitioning just to help them and let them know like nah man there are careers out here you don't mm -hmm. just have to go be a security guard you don't have to just go get the minimum job you can still come out here and get success you know and live the life that you deserve mm -hmm. it's out here 
put in the work, you know, and I'll help you. Or I'll put you with guys that can help you, you know. So I'm always looking for anybody in the industry to interview plumbers, mechanics. I don't care because to me, all of them hold value. There might be a guy that's out there that likes working on cars. So if I can have a mechanic on there, give an insight, and he can, yeah. hey, man, I want to, you know, talk to Rick, the mechanic. How can I get in? And he can lace him properly. So, yeah. That's how they can reach me through the channel. All right on, Will. Well, thank you once again, brother, for coming on here and just sharing all your information, dude. Um, we're gonna have to definitely do a part two. You got so much value. Nah, definitely. That you, can add, you know <laughs> what I mean? And uh man, we love what you're doing and we want to support you any way we can, brother. So thank you. Appreciate thank it. You. Nah, thank you, man. Thank you. It was a good uh, good talk, man. I appreciate it, man. Definitely. Absolutely. Goodbye. <laughs>